Jesse, how's it going? I'm, uh, you know, I'm just glad we were able to help so many people. Are you talking about the podcast? What are you talking about? Who did we help? No, 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 no. I mean, did you see in the news the our our vaccines are are racing toward approval? Our vaccine is working. We didn't. You know what? We didn't. We didn't tell people about this, did we? No, we didn't. Uh, okay, so uh, as you may have seen, a couple of the big pharmaceutical companies, uh, the the COVID vaccines seem to be working, um, and hopefully, you know, by the late spring or summer, most people will be vaccinated. So after this podcast started to take off a little bit, uh, Katie and I watched a YouTube series about immunology hosted by PewDiePie. Uh, it's <laughs> Swedish YouTube art artist, and we learned some stuff about immu- immunology. We reinvested some of our Patreon money into biotech, and the two of us came up with a couple vaccines. I came up with the AstraZeneca one. You came up with the Moderna one, right? Or do I have that backwards? No, I think I think that was it. It was Dolly Parton also had something to do with it. I'm not sure if she was on your side or on my side, but Dolly was in there too. Dolly has published some interesting stuff on protein folding. Um, we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes, but yeah. So, um, you know, I wanted to be humble about this, but it's a pretty big deal. And I'm proud that, uh, you know, just from some YouTubing, the two of us were able to come up with vaccines. You know, I'm starting to have a little bit of regret about being such an integral part of this because when I really think about it, COVID has been great for me. Like, for instance, I don't have to go to the gym anymore. I have an excuse about that. I don't have to go out to dinner with people. I don't have to hug anybody. I don't have to go to work anymore. Maybe this is a bad idea. You're saying we should not have developed this vaccine or these vaccines. Yeah, I'm saying I don't want to go back to normal. This has been great for me. Throw out the vaccines. (laughs) We take our money back. I don't know who I'm calling to. (laughs) My assistant. Fauci. Fauci, get in here. Uh, what's this, what's this podcast we're recording? We are recording Blocked and Reported, and I'm Katie Horsog. I'm Jesse Single. Uh, we have some- Dr. Jesse Single. Dr. Jesse Single. I gave myself that, uh, that title. Man, we have some, some good internet bullshit to talk about. Um, could I first address two things from our last episode? Yeah, please do. Two quick things. Uh, th- this was, was listener feedback that I wanted to address. We talked about the story of Ubisoft, um, canceling, literally erasing the voice of Helen Lewis for having controversial gender opinions. And the point we made on the podcast is you should not have to lose your job or lose a gig for having a majority opinion. Some listeners were like, well, you should also be able to express unpopular opinions in the workplace without fear of punishment. This is true in many cases, but I I didn't want to give the impression that like only majority opinion should be acceptable speech. And a few people seem to have gotten that impression. So yes, we think you should also be able to say, uh, Less popular things in the workplace without getting fired unless they're like, – Yeah, you should be able to talk about gamer extermination without worrying about being fired. Absolutely. The gamers, they got to go. They've, they've been crippling our economy, controlling the weather. Um, that was one thing. And then we had a few people via Twitter and our Patreon messaging like um, just this whole Republican Party thing, <laughs> this whole Trump election thing. Have you been following this? No, I, I like, and I'm not kidding here. I have not been following it. What's going on? I, I stopped as soon as they said that Biden won the won the election. I stopped paying attention. I mean, basically, we. I don't think this podcast niche is talking a lot about Trump. There's plenty of other Trump talk, but it is like pretty fucked up what's going on with it with the entire Republican Party, other than a few exceptions, Mitt Romney, Ben Sass, like lining up behind this idea that there was this massive fraud. The GOP account itself tweeting out a Trump campaign person saying that Trump won the election easily. This this is just like a level of craziness that should be remarked upon, if only to point out this is in fact crazy. I also, you and I might disagree on this, but like this idea that this is just the flip side of like liberal Russiagate hysteria, I, I don't agree with that. If like the entire Democratic establishment had fought Trump's uh inauguration and had tried to say that he didn't actually win – that would be one thing. I just think what's going on now is like really unusual in a liberal democracy. And, and I don't, I don't want people to think that I think this is just like the flip side of, of Russiagate stuff. Well, are you concerned about this? Like Bill Maher, I, I caught Bill Maher from last week, um, mostly because Caitlin Flanagan was on and I am a huge fan of Caitlin Flanagan. And he was saying, as he'd been saying for the last four years, that he doesn't think that Trump is going to leave office. Like he's going to like hold on to the doorknob and or just like sit on the toilet and refuse to leave. I personally find that ridiculous. Um, I think that there's a lot of catastrophizing going around. 
people seem to think that we're in the midst of a coup. If it's a coup, it's a pretty nonviolent coup. Uh, are you worried about this, that there won't be a like actual peaceful uh, turnover power? I, I think there's a, a midway point between this is a coup, we should be out in the streets, and there's nothing to worry about. And that midpoint is the long-term damage you can do when the entire conservative establishment is is feeding some very credulous people and very angry people, Trump's fans, this idea that there was massive fraud. When the actual blue check GOP Twitter account is spreading these rumors, when all these senators are, are not just stepping up and saying what we all know, which is that the guy lost, like – it's not going to work. There's no – I don't believe there's any legal path. I don't believe faithless electors are – none of that stuff is going to work, I don't think. But if we have a system where to the last minute he's insisting he won and millions of people believe it and, and these rumors are stoked, I just – I think it can do long-term damage. And what happens when the next Trump-like figure is more competent, less stupid, less crazy and, and maybe the next election will be even closer? This is just – this is all worrisome. This, uh, you know, if you read The Atlantic, the next, uh, Zinup Tufeki wrote a piece like three days after the election saying, basically, basically making this point and saying that, you know, what happens when we have the next authoritarian? And she brought up two possibilities, Tucker Carlson and Joe Rogan. <laughs> Like, I like Zaynep, but that when she like listed among her potential authoritarians, Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan just fucking kicking back his feet up on the Oval Office desk, vaping. Like, like doing DMT. Uh, Seki yeah. like appoints a secretary of just chilling. Like, I want him to <laughs> – secretary of just chilling. I want him to put Dylan, uh, Tim Dillon in as um, as head of the, the national security apparatus. Um, Well-known well conspiracy theorist, Tim Dillon. He'll get to the bottom of who really did 9-11. It's just, look, I, I, at some point, I think we should talk more about Rogan because I, I, his best podcasts are very good. I do think he like should push back more on conspiracy theorizing, but if you don't understand the political difference between Tucker Carlson and Joe Rogan and you're someone as smart as Zainab, who's very smart and has got a lot of stuff right, like the, the, the Rogan catastrophizing has been pretty bad. That's the real scale. Well, even the, I mean, even the, the, the Carlson catastrophizing, I haven't been watching Fox News lately, but from what I'm seeing, like, filtered through Twitter and other outlets is that Fox News are, like, they're the people saying, like, no, there's no fraud. This is over. Have, have you heard this or am I getting that wrong? No, it's a, well, so they, their straight news side has done a pretty good job from election night. I haven't watched them since, like, the week of the election because I don't usually watch Fox News. Uh, they have pundits who have absolutely been, Fueling this stuff, you know, the like eight to eleven or nine to eleven slot when the assholes come on. The asshole. Hours. What about what about Tucker? Uh, I'm not sure about Tucker to be honest. Um, yeah, I, and I was meaning more just Tucker is clearly. Uh, I think it's safe to say he's like pretty anti-immigrant and stokes white resentment and stuff. I don't think he's like an actual Nazi like some people do. I don't think Glenn Greenwald should be on person for going on him. But I'm just saying like he actually has like a pretty right ideology in a way Joe Rogan obviously doesn't. He does in some respects. I mean, in some respects, like he agrees with Bernie on some stuff. Um, and, and from that, you know, from that respect, Bernie has, has changed on immigration somewhat. But if you go back to what he was saying, you know, in the eighties and nineties about immigration, he does make this argument that immigration is bad for working class Americans. It's a very leftist argument. It's not one that I actually agree with. Um, because I think that the more people, the better. I'm more on Matt Iglesias' side about this. Eight billion Americans. Eight billion Americans, as long as they don't live in my neighborhood. I guess that makes me a NIMBY. Speaking of NIMBYs, this is a good time to transition. Can we talk about Seattle? You know, I hate talking about Seattle just this once. Okay. Okay. Anything else you want to say about this? No, I just had my like, I don't know, I, my false equivalency sense was tingling. Because I do think some of the like most excessive Russiagate stuff was silly. But like that, that was an actual scandal. There was a bipartisan Senate investigation that that backed up some of the claims. Uh, this is very different. This is trying to construct out of nothing. Nothing. The idea that the guy who lost the election won the election. And that's really bad. Controversial opinion. My bar is so low for the conservative apparatus that I like, I'm not like nothing about this is shocking or like, I hate to say it even particularly concerning because I have very low expectations for them. I expect the worst. Um, and so when like when Democrats do idiotic and bad things, I'm disappointed when Republicans do idiotic and bad things. I am, you know, it's like, a Tuesday. It is true that like I got so burned out by um, the first Trump campaign, part of which I, I spent writing about some of this misinformation stuff for New York, New York Magazine that I sort of tuned out from that like crazy informational ecosystem and maybe focused more on lefty craziness, which I think, you know, I can have more influence hopefully. But yeah, as soon as you dip back into that world of like gateway pundit and stuff, it is it is fucking 
crazy. And it's easy to forget how crazy it is because like that's not our people. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, if you're not paying attention to it, it's easy to ignore it. Um, okay. Moving on. So there is a neighborhood in Seattle called Finney Ridge. And I would describe this. Wait, Finney Ridge. Finney Ridge. It's P. Doesn't, doesn't that just sound like a, uh, a newly discovered part of the vagina? <laughs> it does actually now that you think about it. Now that I think about it. Actually, not, the, not just that. The neighborhood that we're specifically talking about, it's two neighborhoods combined. And combined, it's called it's Finney Ridge and uh, and Greenwood. So the the two combined neighborhoods are called Finneywood. <laughs> so it's actually a new part of the penis. Okay. Oh man! If there are any fifteen year old boys listening, they're just losing their shit right now. I'm sure that there aren't. Okay, their parents have taken their podcast away. Um, okay, so th- the Finneywood community has a neighborhood association. And I would describe this neighborhood as upper middle class, you know, like mostly single family homes. You definitely like, I, I'm sure that most, that, that most of the homes there are million dollar homes. Um, if not more, not because this is like Jeff Bezos style, upper middle class, super wealthy. This is just like Seattle shit's expensive. So a Twitter follower clued me into this, uh, recently. This happened in July, but I just think it's, it's extremely funny. And it also is very indicative of a particular strain of of anti-racism work that we've talked about in the past. And I tweeted this. And so for my Twitter followers who are listening, please forgive me. You have seen this. Many of you have seen this, but it's just like so funny that I wanted to talk about it. Okay. So in July of 2020, in the midst of this, you know, the, the, the mass protests over the killing of George, George Floyd and police brutality, the Finney Ridge community, the Finney Wood community, um, instituted this anti-racism work. They had hired an executive director of the Neighborhood Association who has a background in anti-racism and diversity, equity, inclusion, all of that stuff. And so here's what they have done. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm just going to read you part of this part of this press release because it's like so good that I would not be able to do it justice myself. Can I make it? Can I make one prediction for what they did? Yes, please do. I bet they rezoned the neighborhood to allow for the construction of low-income housing. Oh, yeah, that's definitely what they did. Sure. Okay, here's what they did. Oh, I should also, I should also say that, uh, so there, it, this is really close to a zoo. Um, so a, the zoo is sort of a, you know, a part, a part of the area, a sort of integral part of the area. This is from the press release, July 27, 2020. Dear Finneywood community, we have a few updates to share with you about our ongoing commitment to anti-racism and, and equity, diversity, inclusion at the PNA, that's Finney Neighborhood Association. You are probably familiar with the neighborhood tradition of the winter holiday monkeys. For the last five years, these LED-lit metal monkeys hung in the windows of businesses and organizations along the Finney-Greenwood corridor. The monkey project was initially spearheaded by the PNA business group with the intent to bring a spirit and tradition unique to the Finneywood neighborhood. They chose monkeys as a complement to the Woodland Park Zoo wildlights, perhaps an escaped animal from that display. So, uh, so... If you can imagine what this is, it's these like metal lit up monkeys that would just hang in business windows around Christmas time. And they're actually like, you'd be sort of like hard pressed to actually recognize them as monkeys. They look sort of like blobs. Um, you know, it's like an outline of a monkey, but there's no details. So sounds festive. Yeah. It's, it's festive. It's not particularly Christmassy, but it is like, you know, zoo theme. All right. Back to the press release. However, the PNA did not properly take into account the extended history of monkeys being used as a racist symbol, with black people being derogatorily <laughs> referred to as monkeys symbolically and in language. We do not want to cause any hurt or harm to our black community members or visitors, nor reinforce the symbolism. So the board of directors voted on July th- 21st to permanently retire the monkey project. This is just one step in our work towards dismantling systemic racism. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was good. It was already good. I was already yeah. happy. You, you were that to me, but then for them to explicitly say this is helping to dismantle systemic racism. Jesse, it gets better. It gets better. Okay, moving on. Jumping forward a couple of paragraphs. In addition to the monkey symbolism, it came to our attention that a water fountain in the Finney Center presented some, to some community members as a legacy or symbol of segregation and caused discomfort and pain. As background, our blue building was built in 1904 as a Seattle public school and remained in operation as a school until 1981. The small water fountain in the lobby was the only fountain on that level until 2012 when PNA installed a modern ADA accessible water fountain and bottle filler as part of a larger accessibility and conservation project that included an elevator and other building improvements. 
When the new fountain was installed, P&A decided to keep the old fountain as part of the building's historic character and for easier use for small children. We did not realize at the time that the presence of two separate water fountains could bring up imagery of racial segregation. Oh. Facilities that <laughs> wait. Wait, wait. Facility staff first heard about the second water fountain making some community members uncomfortable on July 8, 2020. After brief consultation with P&A leadership, maintenance staff removed the fountain on July 10th, 2020. We have a little cosme- cosmetic work to finish, but are glad to have addressed this concern as soon as we became aware of it. I I feel like I'm missing something here. It's literally just the presence of two water fountains? Close to one another? I, apparently they were nearby each other. One was like an old water fountain and one was a new water fountain. One was like, you see this commonly. This is, this is incredibly common yeah. to have like two water fountains beside each other. Uh, like one's for little kids, you know, and one's for adults oftentimes. And this was apparently so problematic with this neighborhood association that they removed one of the water, the, the, the water fountain for children, um, to, you know, combat systemic racism. But you know what? In addition to systemic racism, you know what another threat is, uh, dehydration. Dehydration. Those kids. Okay. So there's, uh, if you scroll down, there's an FAQ, a frequently asked questions section. I'm going to read you a couple of those. <laughs> First one, why, why is this? Yeah. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Just what the fuck? Okay. What are you going to do with the monkeys? The answer. The PNA <laughs> has not yet come to a decision about what we'll have with the monkeys. Can I have or buy a monkey? Answer. Because of the reason that we are retiring the monkeys, we are not offering to ind- for the individuals to go back into the community. This is, this to me is like so quintessential Seattle anti-racism effort where it does Absolutely nothing to address like the actual problems of racism. Um, and, and as you mentioned, this like 80% <laughs> yeah. of this neighborhood is zoned single family housing. <laughs> they have done, you know, if you, if you actually try to get, you know, multi-use housing or apartments built in this neighborhood, I am assuming you would find great resistance because these people probably don't want this in their neighborhood. Um, they don't want the character of the neighborhood to change. They don't want their trees to get taken down. They don't want parking issues. Um, so instead, they do things like take the monkeys uh, down and take the water fountain away. The um, First of all, let me just say like 10 minutes ago, I was like railing against the GOP. It's like I might as well have been on MSNBC. It feels so good to get back to our bread and butter. And this is why I hope right. making fun of Trump ourselves. just leaves. Uh, yes, making fun of dumb, privileged liberals. But okay, so is do you think that maybe what happened here is like this consultant is hired to de-racist like a privileged neighborhood? So she just has to like walk around and find shit to make up? Or do you think there was actually – do you think there were actually more than like one person who was offended by the water fountain and the monkeys? Um, if you – if you like also within this press release, there's an update um, and it says that she uh, – that okay, I'll, re- I'll just read it to you. In December 2019, the PNA hired Darnisha Weary as its new executive director, who was black. Soon after she was hired, she expressed concern regarding the monkeys, given that monkeys are routinely used as a racist slur against black people. She felt uncomfortable, quote, end quote, selling the monkeys as part of her job representing the organization, given that historic contest context. Soon after she expressed this opinion, she and another member of our staff, who was a person of color, received a racist email that invoked exactly this racist imagery with a derogatory caption that referenced her objection to the monkey lights as a symbol for the neighborhood. The email claimed to be from friends of the PNA. The PNA reported the incident to the local police and tried to trace the origin of the email, but to no avail. I Googled this woman. She, uh, she, there's like, this is like the third incident I can find where she has um, allegedly been the victim of a racist incident. Oh, Katie, you're doing you're doing your denialist thing again. I am not. I am not denying it. I I think that it probably maybe happens. I'm not denying it. It could. I could see I'm someone not denying it. <laughs> Does it sound like I'm denying it because I'm not I, denying it? Look, people. <laughs> do send a lot of racist emails and especially if like word got out that this very dumb proposal was being floated i could see someone like i don't want to even comment on i which is actually why i'm not denying it because it's totally possible um i don't see why you're i you seem to be reading denial into my voice (laughs) there's no denial in this voice there's no denial in this voice um i don't understand how like we allow it to be the case that real life monkeys still exist we should round up all the monkeys because they could remind someone of a racist caricature and kill them. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so, you know, this is just like, 
I think that like when I was looking into this, it looked like they did a couple of other things. Like they have a, like a hot meals program. I assume this is probably something to do with COVID. So they did do at least like one thing that actually would matter to people, like providing food. Personally, I find the monkey thing pretty silly, um, especially because like when you look at photos of the monkeys, it just like you can't even tell that they're fucking monkeys. They're just these lit up like like they look like more like sea creatures to me. I'm going to pick I'm going to pull up a photo of this and it turns out the monkeys are horrific anti-Semitic caricatures. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so I, so at least she complains. Um, I don't know if there were any other complaints besides her, but she's no longer in this position. So it does, this did not end well for her and it did not end well for the monkeys and it did not end well for the thirsty children of the, the, the Finney, the Finneywood neighborhood. There's like a, a supply and demand problem here because, well, well, I maintain that, like, I, I completely agree actually that many aspects of America, including housing zoning policy were shaped by racism because there was like basically depending on what you're talking about there was explicit racism not too long ago but if you're like a white affluent person and you're tasked with finding racism in your immediate vicinity explicit racism isn't that common these days so you're gonna like just like maybe see stuff that isn't there which is sort of the style of like the robin d'angelo style where like you sort of try to interpret everything you see through the lens of race. Uh, it just, it doesn't necessarily lead to a healthy outlook or to productive, uh, acts, I think. If you, if, like, if you see a monkey and your first thought is black people, you might be the racist one. Right. Intr- introspect. Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You might have some like, some, you might need to do some internal work on that. You might need to take a Robin D'Angelo course yourself. Um, so, but I don't, this, in this case, like, this is, I'm just sort of reading into this press release. I don't think this is a case where the, you know, the, clearly like the white people, the good white people, the good white liberals of the board aren't the people who like initially saw the problem. I think what happened is that they were told by a black person that this was a problem and their immediate response to that was to like say like, oh my God, we'll take care of it. We'll take care of it instead of giving it some further thought. Like the monkey. But that's like a form of. It, I mean, it's, Sorry, yeah, it's, it seems like a form of racism in some ways. It's like this deference, especially like the monkey, the monkeys are one thing, like it's a tradition that people liked. Whatever, fuck the monkeys. The water fountain, I think, is the really is the sillier thing because what you've done is like make life a little bit more difficult for people, for all people, um, in an effort to remove something that is not symbolic. Unless you're really like stretching, really looking for something. To this is this the sign did it didn't have like a colored water fountain and a white water fountain. You know that's not what was going on here. It's fucking two water fountains beside each other. Two water fountains is better than one water fountain, if you ask me. Yeah. Well, that's a uh, a very weird but very of the moment story. That was it's. This is Seattle in a nutshell. I can see why you're not welcome. I can see why you're not welcome there. Anymore. I look like a monkey. That's why people see me and they just think, "Oh God, racist." I so I have another good bullshit culture war story. Unless you have anything else to say about these evil racist monkeys, no. Let's uh, let's hear about your bullshit culture war story. So this one really annoyed me. Uh, I'll drop a link in the show notes. Um, it's from a blog called Blog To, Blog for Toronto. Oh god, let's see if I can read this headline without passing out. <clears throat> New Toronto clothing store ditches broth bar after cultural appropriation complaints. Oh my god. So one reason we're off to a bad start is like on the short list of sort of near human universals I'm no expert on the history of like cooking. Don't they have broth like everywhere? Like just water with flavoring in it? I think we could safely assume that broth with some water or some water with some flavor in it is probably pretty universal. That's, that's how my people stayed alive in Eastern Europe for centuries. Um, so, okay, here's just salty water. Just that explains a lot water. about you. <laughs> We're a salty people. Um, I'll just, I'll just read a little bit from this blog post. I, I'm just, I'm not going to say the name of the the perpetrator of this. If you want, you can click on the show note. I'm not trying to drag her. I'm trying to drag this whole I'll, – I'll explain what I'm trying to drag. Toronto Star editor Blah is one of the community members that's been extremely outspoken about the issue this week, posting a lengthy Twitter thread Wednesday in which she pointed out that the company is white-owned yet selling bone broth, jerk sauce, pho hot sauce, and, quote, superfood dumplings, end quote. Uh, now I'll just read from some of this angry tweet storm. This is from a Toronto Star social media editor. It's from like 
you know, a social media editor, but a journalist. This is how she's using her platform. Quote, the cultures they are taking from literally fight daily for legitimacy, the wellness cleansing of the food, the lack historical understanding, and the number of followers is alarming. I'm not trying to knock small business, but damn, this one hurts. Except you are trying to knock small business. Uh, she also pointed out that Ripe Nutrition's marketing, which includes hot sauce called Jerk Me and Hot For You, and refers to their broth bar as a brothel, effectively sexualizes these traditional foods. I am so mad that that <laughs> phrase, sexualizes these traditional foods, exists. Here's the last bit, because I guess this goes back to some of her childhood trauma. I legit threw out my Chinese food lunches because white kids would make fun of it all day. I bought into Pizza Day and dry-ass turkey burgers. So did many others. And now you taking our culture and selling it? And people think it's legit? Damn. So in this view, because one group of white people made fun of her as a kid, that is the same group of white people who run this fitness center selling broth. And therefore, it's hard to even know what to make of this. I just – I really hate the – um I think journalists have sort of gotten a reputation for like trying to wreck people's lives and maybe not reporting fairly on stuff. So I just don't like the optics of a journalist, even a social media editor, taking it upon herself to use her platform to try to mess with a small business. And, and this, you know, whatever. It's a gym who maybe they'll be fine, but they like, they had to shut down the broth bar and endure some like harsh outrage bullshit and, and no one can explain why like obviously you're allowed to adapt recipes from other cultures i mean no apparently you're not whole, yeah i guess not um it's like the allison roman stuff again but i this just sort of drove me crazy i just i feel like newsrooms like younger members of newsrooms are increasing this type of person who are much more like activists and journalists and they really see their job as just like monitoring the world for bad people and problematic people and trying to drag them and it I just – I hate this shit. Like if you really want to write a story about the bone broth at this gym, write a story. But just this like angry tweet storm where because of your own childhood trauma, this small business owner should be punished. I just think that's fucked up. Yeah. This, OK. So this reminds me – do you remember the story of Kook's Burritos in Portland? Oh, God. Is this one of the burrito appropriation stories? Yeah. So in 2017, uh, there was a, a burrito, like burrito cart or a burrito truck in Portland owned by two white women. And, uh, the Portland Mercury, um, took itself, took it upon itself to like drag this organiz, this, this burrito truck, um, which led to like death threats of the, of the women who own this place. They had said something like they had like gone to Mexico and like learned how to make tortillas from women in some Mexican village. Oh, they'd like watch some like Abuelita make uh the tortillas yeah 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 and not like on youtube like they had gone down there um and so the portland mercury which is a paper that is owned by the stranger it's the same parent company so it was like the sister paper when i was working at when i was working at the stranger um so they had a post uh on the blog called this week in appropriation kooks burritos and the willamette and willamette week okay so if you go to that now there's a note that says, a note from the editor. Dear readers, due to new information that has recently come to light, we have taken down our blog post. It was not factually supported, and we regret the original publication of the story. I have tried to find out what the original piece said. Like, I've looked on the Wayback Machine. I've asked people within the organizations. Nobody will tell me what the actual post said. But they said something. It led to these people getting, like, actual death threats and closing their uh, closing their business, like, disappearing, closing their business and disappearing, and then retracted it. Just whoops, without any explanation. Whoops. Whoops. Dude, whoops. these fucking yeah. outrage mongers, man. That's not what journalism is supposed to be. No, it's not. It's really not. This is like – like, if you have a complaint, like, fucking take it up with Yelp, you know? Take it up with Yelp. And this, this, we're going to talk about this a little bit later in our Patreon episode, but there was this great article in the New York Times yesterday about, um, a professor at Smith College whose name is, uh, Loretta Ross. Um, so the article is called, What If Instead of Calling People Out, We Called Them In? And it's about this woman. She's a black woman, uh, has been an, an activist who has done things like, you know, the, like the Daryl Davis school of thought where she, like, works with actual, like, literal Nazis. Not not fucking the Twitter literal Nazis, but actual <laughs> Nazis and racist, um, and helps them like change their minds, you know, and like have have these like come to Jesus moments about their own, you know, their own like fucked up views. Um, 
And so this woman, Loretta Ross, she uh, was one of the signatories of the Harper's letter, um, and which, of course, she got dragged for. But she teaches this course at Smith College about better ways to deal with conflict. It's in her, her, her theme is like, instead of calling people out, you should call them in. Um, let me read you a little bit about this. This is a, a quote from the piece. Calling out assumes the worst. Calling in involves conversation, compassion, and context. It doesn't mean a person should ignore harm, slight, or damage, but nor should she, he, or they exaggerate it. And this is a quote from Ross. Every time someone disagrees with me, it's not verbal violence. I'm not getting re-raped. Overstatement of harm is not helpful when you're trying to create a culture of compassion. And so what she's trying to do is teach her students, her Smith College students, who are like really like the prime demographic for call-out culture, um, how to like compassionately and effectively talk to people when you have an issue with them. But th- like, th- there's this like brand of journalism that is built on the opposite of that. You know, and, and I think there's some irony of the fact that you and I are like so outraged by this outrage that we spend a lot of time like talking about the outrage <laughs> yeah. itself. Like maybe we're the, you know, maybe like is calling out, cul- cu- is calling out call out culture still a part of call out culture? Well, yeah, I think that it is. Like it would probably be more effective and well, compassionate if we went directly to, to no, sorry, yeah, I was just going to, I mean, maybe you're going to get there, but like I, I, when I do this, I try not to do it in a way where like, now that person's going to get piled on. I don't always succeed in right, the moment, but right. it's not my goal for that person to get piled on. It's my goal for us to have like more of a conversation about what we want journalism to be. And if it is appropriate for a journalist, even a social media person to just like use her platform to attack a small business she has a vague complaint with because of childhood trauma. I just think that right. that discredits all of us as journalists. No, I think you're totally right. I mean, I, I like to think that by like talking about the um the problems with with this like this trend that we're doing some good there is this weird i do have this sort of weird like ethical dilemma about it sometimes like um is this are we just making things worse are we just a part of this by by calling out call out culture but that said it's also like it's it's fun for one thing which is you know Part of why I understand why people engage in call out culture, because it is fun. Uh, it is fun to feel like morally righteous. And it also like is sort of, it can be this kind of like almost like community building exercise where yeah. you become a part of something. Um, when it, when you're like jumping into the fray to like fucking make someone's life miserable. So we're going to, I won't say much more about this because we're going to talk about this further in the Patreon episode. And if you want to hear that, um, you can, you can join us there. Um, but this is like, this is not a new thing. There's sort of a long history of, of what we now call call out culture within the culture. It just comes from different names. Um, and we're going to get, get a little, a little bit into that later. Jesse, anything else you want to say about this, uh, this, uh, folking problem? <laughs> this folking problem. No, I think we should, uh, turn our attention to the super interesting and relevant question of whether Barack Obama is a creepy sex best because of what he read in college. All right, we will get to that in a moment. But first, a message from our sponsors. Katie, did I ever tell you about the time I launched a small business? No, do tell. So back in 2014, I was fresh out of grad school and feeling pretty idealistic. So I launched Shalom Shorts. Shalom Shorts was the first cargo shorts delivery service for Jewish gamers with non-traditionally shaped thighs. You know, regular working people like me. Jesse, nothing says working man like Jews and gaming. And cargo shorts. It was something. I mean, um, it was just really exciting. We had Bagel Fridays and Bagel Thursdays and Bagel Tuesdays and Bagel Mondays. But the problem was the business collapsed almost immediately. There was a flurry of lawsuits. There were federal charges, some of which I still have to resolve to this day. It was just a complete disaster because I didn't bother with that whole human resources thing. I was just too lazy. And when you're running a small business, HR issues can kill you. What's minimum wage, for example? There's literally no way to find out. And what are the labor regulations which pertain to how many pockets I can ask an unpaid intern to sew onto a pair of dollar store jorts? Again, without HR guidance, there's no way to know. That's why it's helpful to hire an HR manager. The problem is they cost an average of $70,000 per year, which is why I wish I had known about Bambi before I launched Shalom Shorts and became embroiled in a scandal that Bill Clinton called, and I quote, a tremendous error in judgment. Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small businesses like Jesse's Jewish Cargo Shorts Empire. You can get a dedicated HR manager who will help you craft HR policy and maintain compliance for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. From onboarding to terminations, they customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day, all for just $99 a month. 
Month to month, no hidden fees, cancel anytime. You didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time in HR compliance. Let Bambi help. Get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash blocked and reported right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's a free HR audit at Bambi.com slash blocked and reported spelled BAM, B-A-M to the B-E-E dot com slash blocked and reported. Jesse, did you know the average adult has 32 teeth? Wait, really? I have 84. You know, I've always thought you were above average. And if you want to keep all 84 of your teeth, you can't just brush. You also need to floss between them. It's basic hygiene. Not flossing is like cleaning your butt cheeks, but not your butt crack. And you wouldn't do that, would you? Well, you might. But for the rest of us, flossing our teeth is an important part of oral health. That's why the Quip Refillable Floss Pick is so essential. It's the perfect accessory for your Quip Electric Toothbrush. Plus, with Quip products, you can get amazing rewards just for brushing your teeth every day. What kind of rewards? Pony rides? More like free products and discounts. But if you stop making fun of me, maybe I'll let you ride my... uh, Katie, do I I actually have to read what you wrote verbatim? Oh, yeah, that's what the advertiser said. If you stop making fun of me, maybe I'll let you ride my girlfriend. She's an actual horse. (laughs) Damn it, Katie. (laughs) Quip also delivers you new brush heads, floss, and toothpaste refills every three months from just $5. Shipping is free. So you can save money while avoiding the scary outside world. Bring delight to your everyday brushing and join the over 5 million mouths brushing with Quip, starting at just $25. Those are 5 million disembodied, terrifying, floating mouths. To find out more, go to getquip.com slash barpod right now and you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash barpod. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash barpod. Quip. Better oral health, made simple. Jesse, you wanted to talk about someone that I'm not too familiar with, Barack Obama? Yeah, yeah, Barack Obama. There's an apostrophe after the O. Uh, he was the first He's Irish, right? black Irish president. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's been a bit of a controversy because he had a, a just sort of small, humble – little memoir come out that didn't get much attention. Is this how many memoirs has he had? Twelve or thirteen? <laughs> uh yeah, so Obama had had his latest memoir come out to much fanfare, and there's a section of it where he talks about how he has to admit that as a college student, he read some books or or introduced himself to some thinkers just to hit on women. What? Pull up. I know, I know, the first college-age male ever to do that. Let me quickly pull up um, the actual passage in question so people know what we're talking about. Okay, so I found this via the uh, Twitter feed of uh, Shonda Prescott-Weinstein, who's a sort of theoretical physicist and, and social justice activist type. Is she related to Harvey? Yep, yep, close. <laughs> They're the same person, which if you pull up a photo, you'll see is obviously the case. Uh, but yeah, do you want to try to pull up her thing? Uh, her tweet? Okay, yeah, I've got the link here. Oh, shit. I'm blocked. You're blocked. Oh, no. As am I, actually. Uh, but here, I, if you, I did incognito mode. Okay, so through her, her account, I, someone else posted this excerpt from Obama's book. Close your eyes, and if you went to college, think back to your freshman year. I'm putting myself there. I'm in a dorm room. Friends is playing on the on the TV. <laughs> You're just fucking weed. Every like twenty bogs. My my roommate in college played had like the box set of Friends, and she played it non like the way that I listen to NPR nonstop. She played Friends nonstop. Just as in the in the background. Yeah, it was like that was like on nine eleven. What were you doing? And it was like watching Friends. <laughs> We we were on a break. Is that a good friend? We were on a break. Okay. Here's a – looking back, it's embarrassing to recognize the degree to which my intellectual curiosity those first two years of college paralleled the interests of various women I was attempting to get to know. Marx and Marcuse, so I had something to say to the long-legged socialist who lived in my dorm, Fannin and Gwendolyn Brooks for the smooth-skinned sociology major who never gave me a second look, Foucault and Wolf for the ether- ethereal bisexual everyone, – everyone's been making fun of the ethereal bisexual – who wore mostly black. As a strategy for picking up girls, my pseudo-intellectualism proved mostly worthless. I found myself in a series of affectionate but chaste friendships. Okay, so to most people, that's just like – what people do. They try to impress members of the opposite sex. Uh, or the same sex. Or the, hey, whoa, I just triggered you. Sorry. Um, Be a little more inclusive, Jesse. Here is 
there was a subset of Twitter users who were like pretty upset by this. And let me just read Shonda Prescott Weinstein's take. The way Obama writes about women here, uh, wow. The amazing thing is that he thinks what's embarrassing here is what motivated him to study. What's embarrassing is that he's a grown-ass man who has been the most powerful person in the world, and he is still writing about young women like a fucking pickup artist. Ethereal bisexual? I can't. Okay, I agree with her on that. That's a silly phrase. This is y'all's hero? I'm just over and over going in my mind the similarities this bears to 17th century notions about how women, because they are sex objects, were a distraction for the learned man from his true intellectual purposes. Um, This style of rhetoric that's just like – fuck. There's like – okay, so there's no better word for it than hysterical. But I can't say that if the person in question is a woman, right? No, that's very problematic. Fuck. Very. It's, it's crazy to say that Barack. Crazy, crazy, Jesse. Are you? Are, what are you doing? Next, you're going to talk about how it's tone deaf. Mentally, no. It is cripplingly <laughs> stupid. No, to to take a fucking paragraph of a guy being like, "Look what a dork I was in college," and to say this is like 17th century conceptions of women. Um, this jumped out at me because there is this idea that like there's no such thing as just like a sad, not sad, but like awkward or hapless young man, like. Everyone is a potential rapist or predator. And of course, there are way too many men who are rapists and predators. But there's also like a shitload of men, especially in college and high school, who are just like confused and trying to figure it out. Like it's it's funny and endearing that Barack Obama, who would become the most powerful man in the world, is like, uh, I got to read some uh, fanon to get like women to like me. What am I going to do? It's just this this reaction that everything is like this evil, dark, threatening thing. I, I It's so silly. Did you see – I don't remember who was responsible for this, but there was some tweety, tweet floating around where a person compared this to like rape by deception. Did you see that? <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean – Rape by deception. Yeah. The idea is that if you like – if you are not like 100% honest about the fact that you would like rather read Dan Brown than Foucault, then that is somehow akin to sexual assault. I mean, this is catastrophizing in like in a way that I think is silly. It makes people look silly, but also has some like actual harm here. Because if people like if you believe this, if you believe that someone, you know, basically like not it's not even lying as much. I guess it is it lying? Is it technically lying if you like if you read Foucault? Not no. He like he fucking didn't say that he read Foucault and didn't read Foucault. He read Foucault yeah, because read of it. because he wanted to get girls. Katie, can you say for sure that reading Foucault but for the wrong reasons isn't literally the same as rape? I cannot literally say that. I don't even know if Foucault would say that literally. actually. Um, yeah, and this is also like this is just a normal part of like courting behavior. You know, I mean, it it would actually. I yeah. think if you were if you like went on a date with someone and you like laid bare all of your flaws, what would happen is that you would never get any more dates, right? I mean, this is just not like that's not what they're they're like catastrophizing in a way that makes normal behavior seem seem yeah. like duplicitous and it's dangerous. A- pathologization of everything which is like the sort of person who catches on as an online you know figure on social justice stuff is maybe a little bit more something than the average person i do think it disproportionately attracts people who are a little bit anxious and neurotic and have have their own stuff to figure out um but it and this is also not something that is just males do. No. Like we were talking about this on our group chat and a woman in our group chat who I will leave uh, nameless to protect her, protect her <coughs> Melania Trump. <laughs> said that she went to a lacrosse game to, to like make a boy like her at one point. Like women do this too. You know, you go to see bands that you don't actually like because your boyfriend likes them. This is just like a part of, of like of being in a relationship is sometimes doing shit that you don't want to do and pretending that you want to do it. That's actually like kind of good behavior. What What is like, what's the end game of trying to ever expand outward the subset of just like normal human interactions that are like abusive or harmful or creepy? It just, it doesn't lead to a good place. I, I mean, I think, I think that the reason people do this stuff, like I don't know this woman's internal motivations. It's totally possible that she believes this. I, I like will assume that she does because I like to assume that people, you know, mean what they say. Um, and, but 
you know, why would you put this on Twitter? Well, for likes, for retweets, for engagement, you know, because it signals something to your own crowd. Um, and it also, then it also becomes like it, you know, gets like spun off into the other, the other tribe who thinks you're fucking silly. And so it ends up being self-defeating in the end. Well, not just it may be self-defeating, but also if, if like other people then quote retweet it mockingly and that brings you more attention and even harassment, that can benefit you because that also increases your standing. Right. Right. Absolutely. This reminds me of a um I'm sure you saw this, but there was a there's a professor whose name I, I won't mention um because I don't want to deal with the headache, who's a Berkeley professor, who said something last week about how she wanted to uh burn Abigail Schreier's book on trans kids, oh, yeah. irreversible damage. And this like went wildly viral because here's a Berkeley professor saying, I want to burn this book. And then You said she was an English professor, right? Too? Yeah, she's yeah, she's an English pro- I think she's an English professor. Yeah. And, um, and this is a, a, a trans woman both of us have had unpleasant run-ins with in the past. Um, and, and so then, so a bunch of people are mad because here's a fucking Berkeley English professor talking about the, like, how this book should be burned. Um, and, and this comes immediately after, you know, there have been like actual attempts to get this book banned from Target and other places. We talked about this last time on the last, on the last show. Um, and then so this happens. You, you say something inflammatory and then people get mad at you and drag you and then you claim to be a victim. You know, like I say shit that's inflammatory sometimes. I like fully admit that. But if I say like I just like I have children, you know, tied up in my basement and I feed them dog food, I can't be mad if people <laughs> then, then, uh, you know, call the police the on people me. People are like, that's a waste of dog food, Katie. <laughs> Give that dog food to your dogs. Feed the kids in your basement something else. I, Jesus. I don't feed Moose dog food. Are you kidding me? Moose is way more important than that but you know what i mean like you can't say something totally outrageous and then and then cry like a victim when people call you out on it yeah to be clear the this right this happened with the the berkeley professor we're talking about i don't think it happened with the astronomer um but yeah no but but i mean i eventually sort of subtweeted about that being like if someone repeatedly does this thing where they say something offensive and then they say help uh my mentions oh my god everyone's so mad at me like I sort of think people like that should just be ignored because they're clear. It's part of them building their online brand. They're trying to get a rise out of people and then to play the victim. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's totally fine to get a rise out of people. I just don't think that you should play the victim when it happens, when you succeed at this thing. Do one and not the yeah. other. You can't do both. Lean into it. Lean exactly. in. Exactly. Hashtag, hashtag lean in. Exactly. That's what that's about. For some reason, this whole Obama as sex predator because he – Red Foucault thing reminded me of a couple of years ago when there was like this survey of experts and um, at the peak of the Me Too movement, they were asked, what are the 10 most dangerous countries in the UN? Oh my God, yes. And, and <laughs> the United States was the only Western nation put in the top 10. Of course, purely coincidental, has nothing to do with the fact that there's like this big cultural move, but it's just like – if you get to that mindset where you think the United States is one of the most dangerous countries in the world for women, that's the kind of mindset where you just think like literally every possible interaction is just like fraught with danger. When the reality is like there is obviously too much sexual assault. There's obviously too much sexual harassment, but we're not living in a particularly dangerous time on these fronts, like relative to, to even America's own history. Um, but I think there is an incentive to pretend that like there's danger looking at lurking around every corner. It's LARPing like you live in a war. Did you zone. see the Vice article? Or maybe you sent it to me about woke fishing. No, I did not see that. I guess woke fishing is like catfishing, but that's when uh when like a, Oh yes, yes an online dude pretends to be a feminist, even though he isn't. This is like again, uh supposedly fascism is about to take over, but this is what outlets like Vice have been focusing on, woke fishing. You know, speaking of Vice, I feel like Vice really made a strategic mistake by pivoting to wokeness because they really could have staked out a position as the anti-woke brand because um, there aren't really any like great like out anti-woke ba- brands, I guess like Barstool Sports maybe, but I don't read it because I don't care, care about sports. Instead of writing about like 10 ways that, you know, the movie Notting Hill is problematic, they had actually just been problematic. I think that could have been a real uh, a real selling point for them, but they didn't do that. Yeah. I mean, I guess a lot of the new like Substack and Patreon upstarts are focused on that, but um, Vice is one of many outlets where like they actually, they have good reporters and they have good actual journalists, but they also, a lot of the cultural coverage is just completely unreadable at this point, which is too bad. 
I want to hear when Michael Moynihan from the Fifth Column podcast eventually gets fired from Voice or resigns. I, I cannot wait to hear exactly what, <laughs> what has happened. What has happened to that outlet? People are just like, there's like a subset of people who have left major outlets, not all of whom I'm going to name, but like where I know there was tension along those lines, but they haven't always told the whole story. And I think I can understand because they don't want to burn bridges, but it would be useful if more of the stories came out because you know, I there some of them are pretty messed up based on what I've heard. About Vice? No, no, about various different outlets and like the civil wars raging inside them. Yes, well, I'm sure uh, when everybody joins Substack, they're like your your intro post has to be all of the all of the dirt from uh, your institutions. Yeah. Um well, I guess that's all I have to say about Obama other than like if you're if you're a female listener, stay far away from Barack Obama. He will try to manipulate you with his radical French theory. Uh, he's just, as you can tell from hearing him talk, he's a really dangerous sort of uh, conniving guy. You know, the funny thing about this is I cannot imagine anything less sexy than Foucault. Nothing. Nothing. Oh my god, huge turn. If like someone's like on a first date, they drops Foucault. They drop. They drops Foucault. Uh, no, I. It's that's a really that's a warning sign. That's sort of like uh, anime avatar, basically. I have an ex ex girlfriend who's a ethereal bisexual anthropologist who is very into Foucault to the point where for Halloween one time she um, shaved her head bald so she could look more <laughs> look more like Foucault. Jesus, yeah, didn't last. Wow, a, bi- a bisexual in anthropology, despite uh, yeah that field's known anti bi anti bi bias. Yeah, that's a throwback to our sciencing bi episode. I recommend everyone check that one out. It was a deep cut. Um, okay. Are we, are we done here? I think we're done here. As always, we are at blocked and reported podcast at gmail.com. Our Apple rating has been flipping drastically between 4.6 and 4.7. You can always rate and review us there. We have a subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash blocked and reported. Patreon, patreon.com slash blocked reported. That for $5 a month, three extra episodes a month, one of which we're about to record now. You also get ad free episodes. Am I missing anything? Do we have a Gmail address? Did you say that? I blacked out I for a that. second. I said that, Katie. Okay. God fucking God damn it. Uh, we're in a fight. We're in a fight. Um, this is like the beat of <laughs> You're Ringo. Uh, who would be our Yoko? No, we can, we can figure this out off mic. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. This has been blocked and reported. I'm Jesse Single and remember, cooking food with fire is appropriating Neanderthal culture. And I'm Katie Herzog. And also remember, if you see a monkey in the wild, the anti-racist act is to spank it.